Horse of a Different Color by Ralph Moody, University of Nebraska Press, 1968. Chapter 2, A Lesson from George Minor. Father, thank you um, that as we pray, you hear us. As we speak, you know our thoughts and our hearts, and uh, yet you invite us into relationship with you. So I thank you for the relationship we have with you, the relationship we have with one another. I pray tonight for... Uh, Mima and uh, Richard and Rio and Sky that you would watch over the house and make it a blessing there as they uh, get to learn how to walk together and encourage each other and um, have this special time of life uh, in one house. In Jesus' name, amen. By Friday evening, George Minor and I had covered the entire township, and with no apparent intention, he had taught me more about judging livestock than I could have learned in any other way. When looking over our farmer's cattle and hogs, he made no arbitrary decisions, but led the man into thinking as he did. If there was a scrawny, nondescript heifer in the herd, and if the herd and in the herd of each tenant farmer on the high divide, there were usually three or four of them, with a bull to match, George might say, Was ye to keep that roan heifer over the winter, Joe, I reckon you'd be owing yourself money. If she ain't Pharaoh, she'll drop an awful small calf come spring, don't you think? And from the looks of that bag and them little short tits, I wouldn't miss doubt that about four quarts to the milkin' would be as much as she'd ever give. Now you take that spot and one over there. She ain't got too bad of a bag on her, but don't you figure she's too weedy in the legs and gait gaunt in the belly to ever make a good milk cow? I might be all wrong, but it always appeared to me like a good milk cow ought to have belly enough to hold a big load of grass and water, along with a good-sized calf. Elseways, she ain't got much to draw on when it comes to filling a milk bucket. Don't I recollect of you buying this bull of yours at the auction when old man Peterson died a couple of years before the war commenced? Yeah, that's the same one, George. You sure have got a right good memory. I wouldn't bank much on it, Joe, but I kind of recollect taking note of him at that auction and getting the notion into my head that his kinfolks was like as not the first cattle to be fetched into this part of the country. My father used to tell me about him. Longhorns from Texas drove up here over the Chisholm Trail in the 1870s, some of them close on to six foot high at the shoulder hump and no more than 18 inches across the hips. He used to say a longhorn cow wouldn't give milk enough to fill a tin cup, and it was so poor it would take four days of cream, four days for cream to rise on it. He used to say longhorn beef was tougher than boot leather. The longer you chewed a piece of it, the bigger it got, and a man would like to strangle if he ever tried to swallow it. In the 80s, they began fetching in shorthorn bulls from England to improve the herd, but a lot of that blood got spread out so thin it didn't do much good. Now you understand, Joe. I couldn't say this bull of yours come down from that early stock, but I wouldn't misdoubt it from the wide horns of his and that roan color. Anyways, he's getting kind of getting on in years, and you could lose him outright if he was to get blowed over in a blizzard come winter. Did you ever take note of them Holstein cattle Bud Austin fetched home from the Kansas City stock show a few years back? They ain't purebreds except in the bull, but they're awful nice milk cows, bags the size of a wash tub, and some of them will give up to 30 quarts of milk a day. Last time I talked to Bud, he was saying he had three or four coming two, three or four coming two-year-old bulls in that herd that he'd like to get rid of. And I don't reckon he'd expect to get all outdoors for one of them. 
If you want me to call that old Roni here and few of these weedy heifers he's sired, you'd have a pretty good little credit coming on your notes at the bank. And I wouldn't doubt me none that Bones would leave you have a new loan for enough to get one of them Bud Austin bulls and maybe a heifer or two. Seems like older cows like them yonder generally always drop stronger calves when they're bred to a young bull. And one of them little fellows of Bud's would be in fine shape for breeding next season if you was to put him into your herd this fall. The nice part about a Holstein bull for a mixed breed of milk herder is that heifer calves most generously most generally turn out to be good milkers. And that is if the cows that bear him are worth their keep and his bull calves have a big enough frame on them to make pretty fair beef steers. If he was looking at hogs, he'd point out that this or that one looked to be a little short on size and long on years. Or he might say, it's surprising, ain't it? The way these corn country hogs run mostly to lard and fat back after they've been inbred a few generations. Used to be a fat hog was a good hog. But anymore, it seems like they're going out of style, along with whiskers and Congress boots and the likes. Mostly the packing house buyers down to Kansas City and Omaha want bacon hogs. Long in the back and slim in the gut with a lot of lean streaks mixed in the fat amongst the fat. And the way the market is now, they'll pay up to three cents a pound more for them kind of hogs than what they will for fat ones. Did ever you take a look at Rusty Redfern's Berkshires? If that brood boar of his ain't got ain't six foot long, he won't miss it but a few inches. And he's no bigger around the belly than in that little sow yonder. But the hams and shoulders on him are square as boxes. I have a notion Rusty'd sell a whole litter of pigs by that boar and out of a right good Berkshire, Berkshire sow for what these bones for what bones would allow you on that boar and a couple of these wore out old brood sows. Mix a litter like that in with the best of your young sows, Bill, and it wouldn't be scarcely no time at all till you'd have one of the best hog herds on this divide. One of the valley farmers had a rather large herd, large herd of mixed cows and steers with a massive shouldered bull that weighed well over a ton and looked to be more Durham than anything else. The whole herd was in good flesh, and I judged that some of the better steers would scale above 800 pounds, though others that looked older wouldn't be go more than 600. The herd had been corralled before we arrived, and the farmer showed it to us with evident pride. The cattle were unusually docile, and as we walked among them, George asked, How many of, you, how many of them you milking, Harry? Nineteen, Harry answered, and there ain't a poor milker amongst them. They've been turning out close onto 65 pounds of butter a week all fall. Mm-hmm, George hummed. Been feeding them any grain? None to speak of, George, only a load or two of frostbit corn now and again. Well, by jiggers, there sure are in nice flesh, Harry. I don't see one amongst them that I could rightly cull. Harry bristled. What do you mean, rightly cull, he demanded. George didn't seem to have noticed the anger in the farmer's voice, but asked mildly, do you recollect that team of bay trotters I used to have before the war, Harry? Harry's anger subsided as quickly as it had ridden, risen, and he answered warmly, I sure do, George. That was a mighty fine team of road horses. How fast could they make a round trip between your place and the cook? The sun was warm, but there was a cold breeze from the north. Instead of answering the question immediately, George began climbing over the corral fence. 
As we followed, he told Harry, never did make a round trip without giving him a feed of grain and a couple of three hours rest on the McCook end of the trip. But they could leg it either way in two hours and a half. By jiggers, there's a raw edge to that breeze, and it must be my hide ain't as thick as it used to be when I was younger. He eased the seat of his jeans to the ground, leaned his back against the warm south side of the water tank, tipped his Stetson forward to shade his eyes from the afternoon sun, drew his knees up, rested his elbows on them, and went on. Yep, that was a pretty fair team of trotters. A man could hardly cull him, but I'd ought to have got rid of them three or four years sooner than I did. They cost me a heap of money along toward the last. We'd squatted on our heels facing George, and Harry looked as puzzled as I did. How the heck could you? they cost you money along towards the end, he asked. You didn't have no vet bills on them, did you? Nary a dime, George told him. But to have them in good shape for the road, they had to be stable kept. And it took about a ton of alfalfa hay and eight bushels of oats a month to feed them. Of course, in those days, grain and hay was cheaper than what they are now. But, near as I could reckon, the feed for that team cost me leastways $25 a month. And driving into McCook on Sundays took the whole day's time. I ain't no Barney Oldfield at driving an automobile, you understand. But with the Oakland, I could easily make the round trip to McCook in two hours. It don't cost me over $4 a month for gas and oil. Seems like nowadays, new ways of doing things come along so fast, a farmer can hardly keep up with them. But if he don't do it, it can sure cost him a lot of money. Harry seemed a bit confused, and I said, I guess I ain't following you too good, George. How do you mean? Well, it used to be, back before the war commenced, a valley farmer could do right good with a mixed herd of cattle. One with some Jersey and Guernsey blood mixed in, with his beef stock, so as to he'd have milkers enough that the butter'd square the grocery bill. When he come to sell his steers, it didn't make much difference what their color was, or if them, uh, or if them out of his milk cows was a trifle on the runty side, and them out of his beef stock was built kind of like a buffalo bull. Most of their weight up front and spindling off to a little of nothing in the hind end. But it seems like the style in cattle has changed anymore. The buyers for them big packing houses down to Kansas City and Omaha will pay close on to twice as much for a carload of fat steers if they're all of one breed and one age and one size than what they'll give for a mixed color carload of the same weight. To top the market, every steer in a carload has to be matched for the, has to be a match for every other one. Not over two years old and dang near square. Back is flat and level as a tabletop close onto as wide across the hips and shoulders as what they are deep in the belly, with no legs with legs no longer in their heads. That sure don't make sense, Harry broke in irritably. Packing houses by cattle to slaughter, not for the show ring. And if a steer's good and fat, the color of his hide or shape of him, or whether he's a two-year-old or a four-year-old, don't make no difference in the quality of the beef. George turned his face up just enough that his eyes showed under the brim of his Stetson, fired a thread fine squirt of tobacco juice at a corn cob between his feet and said, Didn't make sense to me neither, Harry, till I got to studying on it some. Of course, the color of a critter's hide don't make no difference in the beef, excepting that it marks him as a certain breed or a mixture of them. Now, you take a Jersey steer, he'll need four summers on pasture and winters on hay, for he's big enough to put into a feedlot. And it'll take leastways four months to put a 200-pound gain on him. 
But with all that feeding, the beef out of him won't be no better if it was out of a two-year-old heifer, Hereford, that never seen a ear of corn. And there won't be as much of it either. Or you take of a uh, take a steer out of a pretty good mixed breed cow that's been bred to a heavy-shouldered 2,500-pound bull, one that's mostly Durham, with a little longhorn and shorthorn and one thing or another thrown in. Give three or four years on good pasture and hay, he ought to weigh close on to 800 pounds. And four months on corn ought to put another 300 on him. But he'll have bone enough to carry a ton, guts as heavy as his sires. And when he's dressed out, the four quarter will weigh close on to double what the hinds do. Bones and guts ain't worth much to the packing house, no matter how fat that kind of steer is. Uh, the meat out of him is bound to be on the tough side, and the steak is all in the hindquarters. The four quarters, where most of the weight is, won't be good for much except, except in pot roast and hamburger and the lights. As George talked, Harry kept glancing nervously toward the crowd, and a little worry began to show in his face. More, I thought, to reassure himself than to advance an argument. He said, if a steer's got a good layer of fat on him, I don't believe a year or two of age will make all that difference in the toughness of his meat. George looked up from under his hat again, spit, and asked, don't Mabel grow radishes in her kitchen garden? Of course she does. All the women folks do. Ever knows how tender them first ones in the spring are? Sure have and tasty. Get kind of woody after the first two, three weeks, don't they? Harry seemed to get the idea that he was being drawn into a trap and answered a bit sullenly. Might be they do. What you driving at anyways? Nothing much, George told him, excepting that a radish and a steer are a lot alike in one way. The faster they grow, the tenderer they'll be. The big difference is that it don't cost nothing to leave a slow-growing radish in the garden, but a slow-growing steer in the herd gets outside of just about as much feed in a day as a fast-growing one. Now, you take that Hereford herd of Otis Ralphs. Ralphs. Only the bird bull is a purebred, but Otis has been keeping that kind of sires long enough, trading them off every two, three years to bring in new blood, keeping only the best heifer calves and culling out the poorest cows every fall. That now the whole herd is as alike as a row of doves on a fence wire. In country like this, where, the, where there's good summer pasture and plenty of alfalfa hay for winters, you can't beat them short-legged, wide-backed Herefords like Otis's. Before they're two-year-old, his steers average 700 pounds apiece, and they'll hit 1,000 after 90 days on corn. If they don't top the market when they're shipped, they'll come mighty close to it. Yep, I suppose they will, Harry said. And I'd sure like to have cattle like him, but I reckon it would cost a heap of money to build a herd like Otis's or yours, George. The butter from a mixed herd comes in mighty handy on the store bill. I wouldn't misdoubt me. You could make the changeover for less than what you'd save and feed if you'd done it, George told him. Bones would allow you a pretty good price on stock, as fat as you, what yours is, even the poorest of them. And I reckon you'd pick up a dozen of last spring's heifer calves from Otis for Around $40 a head. If you wanted to take in some different blood, I've got a coming two-year-old bull I'd leave you have for an even hundred. And I'd give you a year without interest to pay for him. <clears throat> of course, he ain't purebred, but he's close to it with a good compact build, and I, I have a notion he'll sire some awful nice calves out of Otis's heifers. <clears throat> you know, it wouldn't surprise me none if your butter was costing you more than what you're getting for it. Counting feed and the smallness of the calves a man gets for, out of milk cows. Not more than a week ago, I was reading in the Country Gentleman about an Ayrshire dairy herd someplace in Iowa. 
don't recollect just how many cows there was in it, but there wasn't one of them producing less than two pounds of butter a day. I rec kind of reckon it would cost about as much to get one of them kind of cows out here as what bones would allow you on four of your milkers. But you'd turn out just as much butter as all four, and you'd save the feed that three of them's getting outside of. Harry sprang to his feet as if someone had pricked him with a pitchfork, reached for George's hand, pulled him up, then told him, Call him, George. Call him right down close and take the bull. I'd be right proud to have one of yours, and if you won't take no, me no year to get him paid for, neither. And it won't take me no year to get him paid for, neither. In that single week, George called nearly 250 cattle and 500 hogs. While I booked them, arranged with farmers to haul the hogs to, into the Wilson place on Saturday morning, and hired young fellows to drive in the cattle and help with the sorting and loading. George and I did little talking, but in those days I gained a greater admiration for him than I'd ever had for any man other than my own father. I don't remember his ever calling me Ralph or Bud, but before the week was over, he was calling me son, and I liked it. From the time he talked to Harry about changing his herd over the mixed breeds uh, to Hereford, I'd been thinking about starting a beef herd of my own. When I'd first come to Beaver Township, I had no intention of staying a minute beyond the end of wheat harvest. But Effie Simmons took Simons took me under her wing then, and the country had been good to me ever since. At first, the high, dry divides, with their history of crop failure and poverty, the blazing heat and the searing wind that blew incessantly from dawn till dusk, had seemed ominous to me. But month by month, as I'd made friends, prospered, and learned the richness of the soil in Beaver Valley, my dislike had turned to liking. My week with George, my admiration for him, and the enjoyment I'd found in the evening spent with the Wilsons convinced me that I would be happy to spend the rest of my life in Beaver Township. And for some reason, I couldn't put into words, I had a feeling that my life was going to be longer than the doctors believed. As George and I rode back toward his place after making our last call, I asked, Would spring calves winter through all right if a divide pasture that has some fairly good shelter in, in the gulches? If they was in a herd big enough to give him coverage on a blizzard, they'd make out all right. Would a horse herd do, I asked. Don't hardly reckon it would, he said. Horses and calves don't mix no better than horse flies and honeybees. Well, you, what you got in mind? Well, I said, I've leased a half section of good pasture at the top of the high divide. There's a lot more grazing there than my horses need. I was just wondering how it would work if I put in about a dozen top-grade Hereford heifer calves and maybe a bull calf from a different strain. George drew his pony a little closer to Kitten, nodded his head and told me, <clears throat> can't think of a better way for a young fellow to set himself up in business, but was I you, I'd wait till spring. Yearlings wouldn't cost you over $10 a head more <coughs> then than what Wheelands would cost now, and that would be cheap comparing with the risky run of losing four or five head in winter blizzards. Besides that, when a bull calf gets to be a yearling, you can tell a heap more about the way he'll turn out as a herd sire than what you can when he's still a weanling. <clears throat> if it was me, I'd just keep both hands in my pockets till the new grass commenced on green up next April. Then he touched spurs to his pony, and we made the rest of the trip homeward at a brisk canter. At sunrise, Saturday morning, the stock began arriving at the Wilson place, and George, quote, happened over, end quote, soon afterward. He stayed right there through to help me until the last of the 12 carloads had been put aboard at dusk. 
There was, of course, no reason for Bob to help, as I was paying him only for the use of his sorting pen. But sometimes he was a hindrance. By an hour after sunrise, he'd gathered most of the hog haulers of the scales, offered to bet dollars against dimes they could guess the weight of any animal in the sorting pens to within 2%, and that no other man in the crowd could come closer than 5%. Right through the day, he kept a crowd large enough to be a nuisance to us, and he lost only a few bets on lucky guesses. When the men had gone home, he bragged that he'd won every dollar I paid them for hauling hogs. It was after dark when the train pulled out of Cedar Bluffs, and I swung aboard the caboose. The weather on Sunday was cool, so the stock traveled well. And when we reached the Kansas City stockyards early Monday morning, I found a strong demand for top-grade cattle and hogs, but there was very little demand for coals. George had given the farmers credit for a shade more than $16,000 on their mortgages, but the proceeds of the sale, after deducting freight commission on my fee, was barely over 13000 I telegraphed the figure to Bones, spent the last of the day trying to learn what I had uh, what I could around the stockyards and caught the tra night train home far from proud of the job I'd done. Well, he did a lot of work just getting it all there. But it sounds like he's not happy with the way things turned out at the end. Okay, I love you guys. Have a great day.